Well, good morning, Blue Water. So, am I okay? So good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us, whether you're here in person or online. I'm so excited to get to be up here this morning, sharing God's word with you, opening it together, continuing learning together, uh, as we've been looking for quite a long time. Um, all of this summer and for the past several summers about the story of God's people, the story of Israel. We've been at this for a while and certainly throughout um, this summer and the previous summer from the book of Exodus up until where we are now, which has primarily been in the book of Numbers, uh, Moses is like the guy. Okay, he's kind of our main human character. Certainly God is always the main character and the focus of the story, but Moses has been like the guy. Uh, remember, the book of Numbers, as we've walked through it, we kind of said uh, in Hebrew, the title is a little better, which is basically in the wilderness. This chronicles Israel's time in uh, the wilderness. And so we've looked at a number of stories. And today, I'll give you a heads up, we're going to be in Numbers uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 8. But Moses has been the main character, in a sense. He's like the guy. He's the one uh, that God used to lead them out of Egypt. We learned about that in the previous summer. He's the one through whom the law is given. He is uh, the one, in fact, who writes the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, like we're reading from today. He's a major, major character in this story. His story comes to an end. We're going to be reading about the death of Moses, and it is an epic death scene. We know the death scenes can often be that way, right? Maybe you think of movies, um, maybe movies come to mind where there's like an epic death scene that's just like iconic. There is one, it's probably the one that's in your head too, that stands out to me, and it is in The Lion King. It is tragic death of King Mufasa. It is, sorry if that's a spoiler, I think that's from 1994, so we can, we can do that now. Uh, but this is like such an emotional moment. If you've seen the movie recently, I hadn't seen it in a while and we showed it to our girls for the first time because it's a great Disney movie. And then I started, started watching that scene and I was like, Disney, what are you doing to us here? This is pretty difficult stuff. Like one of my daughters is like, why is he not getting up? He's gonna get up, right? And I'm like, uh, and the other daughter is just matter of fact, she's like, nope, that's a deadline. He's dead, Emmy, circle of life. We see it differently, but this is an epic scene, Mufasa's death. It's like, no way, how could he die? And in a sense, this is like a Mufasa moment for Israel. Like how could Moses this? Why does it happen? Why does it matter? And how does it even connect to some things we're gonna see in the New Testament, which is a pretty cool thing, uh, I think as well. So. First, some background before we jump to Numbers 20. The people have this spiritual gift of grumbling, we've said. They're at it again. They're tired of their... ...of chapter 20. <clears throat> he says, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then, verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? 
And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. That's our first text for this morning. And maybe <laughs> you read it, and if you're like me, you're a little confused. It might be like, wait, what did Moses do? That's a pretty intense hand. Why is God upset with him? What really happened there? I don't know if you noticed it. God said, hits it a couple of times to bring water. And to us, it seems like, you know, how is how is I think of carelessness and even of anger, maybe on Moses' part, in the way that he represents God before the people. Psalm 106 talks about this as well. This becomes kind of a mark on, on Moses' record, if you will. Uh, it says he speaks rashly, and they had made his spirit bitter. The people had made Moses to speak rashly. But also... It's kind of a direct disobedience of what God says. It seems subtle to us. God said, hey, speak to the rock. And instead, he went his own way and he struck the rock a couple of times in his rashness to bring water. On there, maybe a little credit taking if you catch it. Moses says, you rebels, must we, Aaron and Moses, bring water from this rock? Certainly it's God that brings water from the rock. And in an interesting way, this rock actually becomes a picture for Christ. Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians. He says that um, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. So in a sense, kind of seems weird to us, but Moses ends up misrepresenting this picture of Christ that we see in the New Testament. It might seem a little weird to us, but for all those reasons, and for whatever reason he has, God sees fit to punish Moses for this incident. It's known very specifically, this incident. But notice, it's kind of cool to me, even with their grumbling, even with Moses' disobedience, God still brings water from the rock, right? Even in our stupidity, even in our grumbling, he still provides for our needs, even though we don't deserve it. He's gracious. Now for Moses, these are big consequences. It says there he will not get to enter the land. That's huge. We're also going to read that it costs him his life. His life will be over as a result of this. Flip with me, if you have your Bible, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 34. So again, we're still in a book of Moses. He's the author here. And this is the death scene that is quite epic indeed. We're going to read it together, verses 1 to 12. Deuteronomy 34 says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishkah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. We're going to skip to verse 4. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you, Moses, see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So this is the epic scene. Moses' life is over, and not only that, he doesn't get to enter the land. He gets to see it, but he will not go in. And if you're like me when you read this, (laughs) my first inclination is to think, is God right for this? Does the punishment really fit the crime here? Like, this seems like a pretty little uh, thing for Moses, given his whole life of faithfulness, 40 years leading the people in amazing ways. Like, this seems a little bit of an overreaction if we're being honest, right? But this is what we do. (laughs) We belittle often our offenses, right? We're pretty good at that. We could say, well, he basically did it, right? Water came from the rock. Either way, he he hit it a couple times instead of spoke to it. What's the difference? He basically did what he was supposed to do. But we know, and you know if you're a parent, (laughs) there's a difference between basically doing what you're told and doing what you're told, right? Maybe you've had an experience like this. Uh, Maybe you tell your child, um, hey, we've been struggling to keep the house clean, and by we, I mean you. This is what you're going to do. Look in my eyes very carefully. That banana you just ate, that peel is going to go in the garbage. Do you hear me? And they're going to nod along and say yes, and they're going to barely look up from their phone as they do it. Later in the day, where do you find said banana peel? On the counter, not in the garbage. Now, from the child's perspective, they will say, well, okay, it's close, close enough. It's basically there. I moved into the kitchen. And from the parent's perspective, maybe you know what that feels like after you explicitly told them. Like, it's not the same because it's not in the garbage. Now, is it about having to move it? You can tell there's a wound here. It's not about having to move it from the counter to the garbage, though, is it? It's about the fact that they weren't really listening to you. They didn't do exactly what you said. And in a sense, their lack of listening and exact obedience reflects on their respect for the one giving the instruction. And that's maybe kind of what's going on here with Moses as well. The lack of listening, the lack of obedience reflects on his view of God, his respect towards the one giving the command. Now, we often, I think, think of our sin in the same type of way. I basically did what was right. I basically did what God asked. I didn't sin big. We often belittle our sin. We fail to realize the full weight of it. And when it comes to consequences, Moses sure gets them. For us, we think everyone else, when they offend us, should have consequences. But when it's us, oh, it's no big deal. It was almost in the garbage. A good way to know if you're not sure who put the banana peel there is to ask everybody in the house, say, what should we do to the person who committed this crime? Okay? And you'll notice the people that are innocent will say, Oh, they deserve wrath. They should never see the light of day. Prosecute this person to the fullest extent of the law. The person that did do it will often say things like, well, 
was almost in the garbage. I mean, maybe they had a hard day. Maybe they had an important game of Clash of Clans that they were entrenched in that they couldn't put their phone down. And so, like, we should, they're sorry. We should go light on them. That's what we are like when it's us who is the guilty one, right? And so we say all that because we need to understand the weight of our sin in order to understand the goodness of the good news of the gospel. The bad news is, uh, it's been said, we're more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, but in Christ, more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And if we don't understand the bad news, we're losing something in seeing the beauty of the good news of the gospel, which is that in Christ, we do not get the punishment that we do deserve. We, like Moses, can receive grace. Now, you might be thinking, well, how did Moses receive grace? Like, he has to die, and he doesn't get to enter the land. Well, we're going to see there's some pretty cool things that, uh, in the New Testament that show he ultimately does receive a far better reward, and we'll get there. Now, we might also read this and think, but why did God end his life? If you missed it, his eyes undimmed, like his vigor unabated, just means he still, he's still got it. Okay, he's still strong. He's still a vibrant leader. He wasn't dying of natural causes. Why did God end his life early? This great leader for the Lord of Israel. Doesn't that seem like a wasted opportunity? He could have had way more fruitful years to lead them in. But God sees things differently than we do. And we can think this about lots of characters in the Bible. Why didn't they get more time? Or why did it take so long for God to first use them? Maybe you think of the life of Jesus. Jesus himself doesn't start his adult ministry till he's 30. And then he works for three and a half years before ascending to the Father. Surely if anyone we think could have used time beforehand uh, like in a more full way or stayed longer to benefit those here on earth, we could say, well, certainly Jesus of all people. And yet God saw fit to have it be exactly so. His time frame was perfect. He sees it differently. We might look at young leaders that are taken too early, we often say. Um, someone that comes to mind for me, you may know him, author and apologist named Nabil Qureshi. He wrote a great book um, called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, because he was once a Muslim and converted to follow Jesus, and he died in 2017 at the age of 34. And I just can't help but think, man, this guy could have spoken to so many people, thousands of people. Maybe so many people would have put their faith in Jesus and turned from Islam and turned to Christ because of his ministry, the way God was using him. Why did he die at 34 years old? It seems like wasted uh, experience, wasted time. But the reality is that God sees time differently than we do, and he does know better than we do. And even to say that is so hard, I realize, because death is so difficult for us, but it is true. And this is a good reminder for me and maybe for you too that I'm not promised 100 years of life or 120 like Moses. And I'm certainly also not owed 100 years by God. Sometimes I think I am, if I'm honest, and not even 80 years. He sees things differently and he is overall. But it's okay because this life is not all there is. Praise God that that's the truth. Okay, let's get back to our story here. The people, it says, mourn Moses 30 days. His successor is Joshua. We're going to learn a lot about him. He's commissioned to lead the people, given the authority of Moses, chosen by God. But this isn't the last time we see Moses. And you're like, what? You said he died. How does this happen? This is a really cool connection to the New Testament. If you would jump with me 
to Matthew chapter 17. So flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. This is 1,500 years later, roughly. We see Moses show up at something called the Transfiguration. The Transfiguration, maybe you've heard of it. It's actually one of the five kind of most key moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay, his baptism, the Transfiguration, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. It's a big deal, it's a big moment. It's one of two times that a voice from the Father from heaven is spoken audibly over Jesus so his followers can hear saying, this is the guy, follow him. That is baptism in here. And so we're gonna read Matthew 17 and see what we can see. Starting verse one, it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is an absolutely incredible moment. It's maybe even more dramatic, really, than Jesus' appearances after he is risen from the dead. There is a revealing of his glory in a way that has been veiled in his flesh up until this point. They're like, Wow, seeing him even a little bit in part in his glory as he is gives us a little taste of what it will be like when we see him again, perhaps. It's so impactful for the apostles, they write about it. Peter later says, hey, we didn't follow stories that were cleverly invented. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They're like, this was real. We were there. We saw Jesus and Moses was there too. And we might say, well, why? Why in the world is Moses there and Elijah? This is a, a strange cameo for Moses. It kind of makes me think of like a 90s sitcom where a really famous person makes a cameo and the audience cheers and they can't really like get their lines out because the crowd is still cheering. Like, hey, we know this guy, he's a famous person. This is a big cameo. They know Moses. They love Moses. The Jews do. He's a big figure. And so it's no small thing that they see him there with Elijah, there with Jesus. Now, Jesus is the one being worshipped, certainly. But it's interesting Moses is there. So why? Well, these two dudes are special. We read that in the text, right? It says there's no one like Moses uh, as a messenger of God, at least. Um, the miracles that were done. He spoke with God face to face, it says. Incredible. Elijah is considered, in Jewish tradition, the greatest prophet, one of two people that didn't die naturally but ascended to heaven. And there's tons of miracles that happen in these guys' lives. You know that miracles actually aren't really equally spread throughout the whole of the Bible? It kind of comes mostly in three waves. During the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah slash Elisha's ministry, and then during the time of Jesus and the apostles. 
There's other miracles in there, but by far, those three time periods are when God is doing the uh, majority of these powerful miracles we read about in the Old Testament through these guys. They're important people. And they symbolize the law, that's Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. And that sounds weird, but listen to this for a second. In Luke chapter 24, and often other times as well, Jesus says things like this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He uses that language a lot, to fulfill the law and the prophets. Moses symbolizes the law because he brought the law. Elijah being the greatest prophet symbolizes the prophets. And it sounds weird to us, but for the Jewish people, the way they thought about scripture was in three categories. There was the law, the first five books, the prophets, and then what's called the writings, which would be Psalms. So when Jesus says, I fulfill the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, he's basically saying, I fulfill all of scripture, all of it, the Old Testament, all of it points to me. And these two dudes being there shows that kind of highlighted, hey, they were pointing to him. The law and the prophets point to Jesus, but they're lesser. It says, listen to him, the voice says, to Jesus. And also, Moses wrote of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses speaks about how, hey, he's going to be gone, but one greater, a greater prophet will come from among the brothers that you should listen to. And that's kind of fulfilled in a human sense after Moses, but ultimately in Jesus. Jesus is the one greater prophet who comes that should be listened to. And they're not forgetting that verse when they hear the voice from heaven say, listen to him. And this, guys, is why we cannot separate ourselves completely from the Old Testament. I think this is so cool. There's a, a popular, very popular Bible teacher in the U.S. that in recent years has said we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And this is why we say no. The richness of what's being shown here, of who Jesus is and how it's all, everything God's done has pointed to him as the Messiah. He's better than Moses. He's better than Elijah. He fulfills all of Scripture. It shows us so much. We have to be able to know the Old Testament. It all points to him. So Jesus is this greater prophet. So is he greater than Moses? We hit this in Hebrews too. The answer is yeah. <laughs> He's the one shining in glory, right? Moses gave the law. Jesus keeps it perfectly. Moses spoke with God face to face. It says in other uh, texts that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. He is God, a very God. Moses brings them out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus brings us out of bondage to sin and death. Incredible. Actually, it's really cool. In Luke's version of this exact incident, he says what they're talking about. He says what Moses and Jesus are speaking about, and it's Jesus's departure. In Greek, his exodus. Isn't that cool? Jesus' exodus, him departing, is what makes way for our exodus to be led out of slavery to sin and death in Christ. He's a better Moses. He's an intercessor. Moses spoke uh, with God to tell the people Jesus is the intercessor for sinful humanity, all of us, to the Father, our necessary intercessor, necessary Messiah. All this is showing. Now we can say necessary because Moses' law doesn't save the law, in fact, that came through Moses only reveals our inability to live God's way on our own, how off the mark we are by ourselves, how much we need Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here and you think, 
not me. I don't need Jesus. I got invited here. I'll sit and listen, but I don't need Jesus. But we certainly do. It's a hard thing, though, to see on our own. Maybe if you're like uh, my dear wife, you're a sucker for um, reality singing competitions. Maybe you you obviously know American Idol, but there's countless of them now, uh, and they're great. For me, the greatest thing about them is the terrible singers. The absolutely terrible singers. I just love watching that because it fascinates me. It's amazing because they can't hear it. They are convinced (laughs) that they are God's gift to ears. And even when there is like a panel of professional judges, musicians with successful careers that are sitting there saying, dreadful, absolutely dreadful, they refuse to believe it. They think innately, I am gifted, I am talented. You cannot convince them otherwise that they're off in a sense. Even when people who know what right and wrong singing sounds like, they cannot see it. And I think this is pretty close to what our experience is like when we do not know Jesus, outside of his revealing to us. He's designed life. He is perfect. He is holy. He knows what right singing is, what perfect pitch is, if you will. And even when we see in God's truth that we fail to live up to his standard or that we're off the mark, we cannot see it for ourselves. We are in need of him. And whether you can see it or not, we are in need of him. And he can, this is the amazing thing, open our eyes to our need. He can retune our hearts in the most beautiful way. And it's my prayer that if you're here today and you've never experienced that, that he would do exactly that. That if you don't know him, he would reveal your need for him. This great rescuer who makes it possible for you to be saved, that you might turn from your own way put your faith in Christ, sing his song instead of your own. If that's you today and you want to talk more about that, man, we would love nothing more than to chat with you. Lastly, there's something really cool about Moses' cameo, him appearing here. And the thing is this, it demonstrates God's perfect grace towards those who have faith in him, towards those who will believe. That though we don't measure up, we can by faith receive undeserved grace. And we see that because Moses is here, right? His story doesn't end in this dramatic, sad moment where he's longing to go into the land and his life is cut short. He appears here again. It doesn't end in tragedy. This man who who God said, your sin is too great to enter in and your life will be done. He wouldn't see the promised land he longed for. Is there now, 1,500 years later, we see him in the presence of Christ with God. So Moses sinned and there was real consequences for that. Big ones that affected more than just him. We should remember that as well. But his faith in God meant that while he didn't see a promised land then, he ultimately did enter the land in a far better and far more lasting one, an eternal one. And we see it here many years later. He's in the presence of God. And two quick things that we can take from that that I think are so cool. Because this isn't a trendy thing to preach about. I realized that this week, the death of Moses. But we can certainly learn from it. It's a reminder for us that whatever our experience on earth entails, in Christ we are promised far better than even the best things that we desire in this life here and now. Because certainly for Moses, this is an incredibly big loss to not enter the land. This is something that's been promised for hundreds of years. The, the disappointment, in a sense, to just look out and be longing to enter the land. That's a, no small thing to him. But ultimately, he enjoys a far greater reward. 
And there's all kinds of good things that we can hope to accomplish, even things for God in this life here and now. Maybe God honoring things that we may not. And life isn't a failure for us if we don't experience all of those things. Because new life in Christ now and forever with him in the life beyond this is better than anything you could put on a bucket list, even a bucket list for God, and better than any desire that's left unfulfilled from this earth. Those will seem like small potatoes in comparison to what we get to enjoy. The last thing is this. It shows that God's grace and capacity to forgive is greater than my capacity for sin. His capacity to forgive is greater than my capacity to sin. Moses is this great man of God. He speaks with God face to face. God uses him in extraordinary ways, but he's still not perfect, right? He has this thing on his record. He disobeys God. He acts out of character. Who among us doesn't do that? And yet God in his faithfulness doesn't destroy him. It doesn't cast him from his presence. It doesn't re- he doesn't revoke his promises to him. He offers grace and forgiveness and we see it because his eternal inheritance in the land is not revoked. That's why he's on the mountain. And that's great news for me and it's great news for you because we don't have perfect records either. We're messy people. And God's grace, thankfully, works the same way for me and you today, thousands of years later, as it did in the time of Moses and the time of the apostles who were on the mountain. And it's that for those who believe our failures of obedience, even ongoing sin struggles, do not remove us from the promise of an eternal inheritance of the land, which is only made possible through faith in Christ. And so as we go this week, I hope that we can think about this. And then we would give thanks that God, that our standing before him does not rest on my ability to be perfect, but only in his perfection, only in his sacrifice for us and his unmerited favor. It is unmerited toward all those who would believe and turn to faith in him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the, for the fact that even these sections, which may not be super popular to talk about very often, or we can easily speed through, are so significant. The way that your word comes together is incredible, Lord. Thank you that all the promises and prophecies and, and stories and types of the Old Testament point to you, Jesus, who is the substance. All of those are a shadow, but all point to you. Thank you for the richness of this, God. Thank you for the fact that even though we cannot keep your commands perfectly, we struggle, we sin, your promises to us are not revoked, we are not cast from your presence, even though we might experience painful consequences for sin, you are right in your ways, Lord, you know better than us, but your grace is greater than our ability to sin, and we praise you for that, Lord. Help us to rest in that this week. Uh, If anyone is here who does not yet know you, Jesus, would you open eyes today, Lord? reveal to us our need for you if we haven't seen it. Help us to be hit by the weight of our sin and be so much more grateful to you for the salvation we have as a result of it. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Stay, visit, hang out. You are loved. Have a great week.